Some of you uh, <clears throat> might be wondering, is this a Christmas service or is this an Easter service? Yes, it is. Because um, we have forever Easter and we have forever Christmas because of the coming of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, uh, last couple of weeks, we've been working through this series, just trying to understand the story of Jesus. From the very beginning to the very end, what's the story of Jesus? And right now we've come to the resurrection. And, and last week when we were together, I read from you the story from the children's Bible storybook um, of the crucifixion of Jesus. And it, it was kind of heavy, wasn't it? It was just like, oh, we just finished talking about the birth. Now we're going to the death. Well, I brought the children's storybook back, Bible back again. And let's read the account of the resurrection from this. Jesus' friends were sad. They would never see their best friend again. How could this happen? Wasn't Jesus the rescuer, the king God had promised? It wasn't supposed to end like this. Yeah, but who ever said anything about the end? Just before sunrise on the third day, God sent an earthquake and an angel from heaven. When the guards saw the angel, they fell down with fright. The angel rolled the huge stone away, sat on top of it, and waited. At the first glimmer of dawn, Mary Magdalene and other women were headed to the tomb to wash Jesus' body. The early morning sun slanted through the ancient olive trees, drops of dew glittering on leaves and grasses, little tears everywhere. The friends walked quietly along the hilly path through the olive groves until they reached the tomb. And immediately, they noticed something odd. It was wide open. They peered through the opening into the dark tomb. But wait, Jesus' body was gone. And something else, a shining man was there with clothes that were as bright as lightning. Don't be scared, the angel said. But they couldn't help it. They screamed anyway. The angel asked them, what are you doing here? This is a tomb. And tombs are for dead people. The women couldn't speak. Jesus isn't dead anymore, he said. He's alive again. And their hearts leapt. And the angel laughed with such gladness that they felt for a moment as if they had woken from a nightmare. The other women rushed home, but Mary stayed behind. How could it be true? Jesus was definitely dead. How could he be alive? Just then Mary heard someone else in the garden. Perhaps it's the gardener, she thought. He'll know where Jesus' body is. I don't know where Jesus is, Mary said urgently. I can't find him. Mary. Only one person said her name like that. She could hear her heart thumping. She turned around. She could just make out a figure. She shaded her eyes to see. She thought she was dreaming. But she wasn't dreaming. She was seeing. Jesus! Mary fell to the ground. Sudden tears filled her eyes and great sobs shook her whole body. And all she wanted in that moment was to cling to Jesus and never let him go. You'll be able to hold on to me later, Mary, Jesus said gently, and always be close to me. But now, go and tell the others that I'm alive. Mary ran and ran all the way to the city. She had never run so fast or so far in all her life. She felt she could have run forever. 
She didn't even feel like her feet touched the ground. The sun seemed to be dancing and, and gleaming and bounding across the sky, racing with her and shining brighter than she could ever remember in the clear, fresh air. And it seemed to her that morning as she ran, almost as if the whole world had been made anew, almost as if the whole world was singing for joy. The trees, tiny sounds in the grass, the birds, even her heart. Was God really making everything sad come untrue? Was he making even death come untrue? She couldn't wait to tell Jesus' friends, they won't believe it, she laughed. And she was right, of course. Christmas is a time for us to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But we have to have in our minds that resurrection of Jesus as well. And the victory that comes with that. The whole story of Jesus is one that is just waiting to be told because the whole story of Jesus is worthy of being told. From the beginning all the way to the very end. And just like Mary there, our responsibility is to go shout at the top of our lungs. And because our hearts are full with joy, our job is to go shout Jesus. He is alive. It was February the 3rd, 1945. There was a group of Americans who had been held captive in a Japanese prison camp called Santo Tomas in the Philippines under the most awful conditions for four years. There's a young American girl who wrote a biography that talked about the, how bad the conditions were. Her mother, while there, was bedridden weighing only 61 pounds, whereas formerly she weighed 148 pounds. The brutal Japanese guards starved them, beat them, made them bow down whenever they walked past, humiliated them, psychologically tormented them. If Americans would surrender, then Japanese children would mock them as cowards. Douglas MacArthur, who had been driven out of Manila in 1942, had vowed three words, you might recognize these, I will return, he said. As he came closer, the people in the prison camp could hear the bombing and shelling. This young girl says she remembers one day an American B-52 bomber flew low overhead and dropped the pilot's goggles with a note tied to it that said, today or tomorrow will be your Christmas. We are here. Her mother had told her to keep something special out every day to wear when their boys came. And for this girl, it was one new sock, and that was all that she owned, was one new sock. For her mother, it was a half-eaten tube of lipstick. Lipstick. She said when the Americans burst through the walls, the nearly starved prisoners burst into cheers. She and her mother got their items out of their room, and they put them on for their boys, who had come to rescue. When the Japanese flag was dropped, they wept. As the Japanese guards were led out, the children followed them, shouting to the American soldiers, boys, make them bow. As I read that story sometime back, um, I couldn't help but think that that's kind of what it's like for mankind and the earth at large. We're groaning under the oppressive slavery that Satan and sin and death have us under. We're longing for release from this. We weren't created for this. We were created for a close community with God, a perfect world without sin. But there's coming a day in which liberation is going to be here for us. The liberator is Jesus. And the liberation is going to include an eternity free from the sting of sin and death and the slavery that Satan has over this world. 
Satan's going to be defeated, and Jesus will reign forever with righteousness and justice. Now, throughout the Bible, this promise that Jesus is going to come back, we, we find it over and over and over again. In fact, my favorite occurrence of that promise is found in John chapter 14. And I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 14, all right? Right before we get to this passage, these first few verses in John 14, Jesus has told his disciples, I'm about to leave you. I'm about to be killed. And then he gets to John 14, verses 1 through 3, and here's what he says. First thing he says, let not your hearts be troubled. In other words, don't be filled with anxiety. Don't be filled with grief over this. Then he says, believe in God, believe also in me. He's saying, trust God, trust God's plan. Trust me also because I'm a part of God's plan. That's what he's saying there. Verse two, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Now, this is Jesus promising to come back for his disciples. And if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you've repented of your sin, you've given your life to Jesus, then you are his disciple. That means that he's coming back for you. I love the, uh, I love the imagery of this um, that, that Jesus used in these first couple of verses. He, he speaks in the context of a Hebrew household. Because oftentimes, and not every time, but oftentimes what would happen in a Hebrew household is that um, a, a father would have a son, and this son would build a room or a mini house onto the side of his father's house. And then he would go and get his bride and bring his bride back to live in that new room, that, that father's house. Right? So Jesus uses this imagery that, that they would have understood. Hey, I, I get this. I've seen this happen before. He would use this imagery to say, I'm going to go to my father's house and prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come again and take you to myself, take you home as my bride. That's Jesus' promise. He's going to come again to do that. Turn over to Revelation 22. It's the last chapter in the Bible. So if you get to the very end of the Bible, just go backwards a little bit, okay? Revelation 22. The Apostle John has just had all of these things that are to come um, in the future. They've all been revealed to him. And one of the things that we find is a reoccurring statement from Jesus right here at the end of the book. Okay, look at verse 6. And I'm only going to read a few verses, a few words here. Verse 6, Jesus says, and behold, I am coming soon. All right, now jump down to verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon. All right, now jump down to verse 20. What does it say? Behold, I am coming soon. Three times Jesus promises right there that he is going to come back. He's going he's to return. And this is Jesus hammering home. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. It's a promise that he makes. Hebrews chapter 9, you don't have to turn there. It's going to be on the screen for you. But Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28 says this. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, why? Because he's already done that, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Christians, listen, we are the ones who are eagerly waiting for the return of Jesus. I go back to the passage I read for you a couple of weeks ago, Romans chapter 8, verses 22 and 23, says this, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. 
A couple of weeks ago, I asked you, I just simply said, are you groaning this morning? Are you tired of this world? Are you tired of the superficial, never fulfilling nature of it? And are you longing for more? Are you left feeling like there has to be something more to life than what I'm experiencing right now? The cry of our hearts is for God to make good everything that is bad. And in this big picture plan that God has, the coming of Jesus the first time and the second time is a major part of that, of that redemption. Jesus is the one whom God is using to make everything right that is wrong. And at Christmas time, we celebrate his coming to earth to fulfill that plan that God set in motion, both the first time and the second time. In the sermon I preached a few years ago, I shared some of the ways that Jesus was distinct as both the Son of God and the Son of Man. And I want you to hear this. As the Son of God, he could feed 5,000 people. But as the Son of Man, he became hungry. So he could say to you and to me, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. As the Son of God, he turned water into wine. As the Son of Man, he was thirsty. So he could say to you, Whoever thirsts, let him come to me and drink. The water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up into eternal life. As the Son of God, he spoke worlds into existence. As the Son of Man, he grew weary so that he could say to you, Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. As the Son of God, he dwelt in the palaces of glory. As the Son of Man, he was born in a stable, grew up in poverty with no place to lay his head so that he could promise me an inheritance that can never be taken away. Though he was rich, for my sake he became poor, that I, through his poverty, might become rich. He took the stable so he could prepare for me a place with many rooms. As the Son of God, he was adored by angels and the perfections of holiness. And as the Son of Man, he was condemned by Pilate, scourged by whips, scorned by man. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And even though he looked weak the first time he came, the first time he came, the second time he will not. Because at his first coming, he was born in a stable. In his second, he'll be riding on the clouds. At his first coming, he was crowned with thorns. At his second, as ruler of the universe. At his first coming, crucified. At his second coming, glorified. At his first coming, he yielded up his body to crucifixion, his back to the whips, his cheeks to them that plucked out his hair. But at his second coming, the government will, will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. At Jesus' first coming, his enemies cried, we will not have this man to reign over us. But at the second time, when he comes, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and proclaim that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is coming again, and every eye will see him, and, if, and every, every knee will fall immediately on their faces in worship. But you know what? I've got no reason to fear, because at Jesus' first coming, he came to bear my judgment and stand in my place so that at his second coming, there would be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there is nothing that can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus, my Lord. I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to being able to see and be a part of that coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus. Now, in the last three weeks, We've been on a journey to see this big picture story of Jesus. 
We first saw that we need a Savior because there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. Not a single thing. There's no work that I can accomplish to earn my way into heaven. We saw all throughout the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, this king announced, he's coming, he's prophesied about. The angel comes to to Mary, to Joseph, to Zechariah to tell them that he's coming. We saw Jesus' birth and we saw how that birth changed the course of history and that he came at just the right time to redeem us. We also saw his crucifixion, the death that he died in my place, the death that he died in your place, to pay the price for my sin, to pay the price for your sin, the death that he died to give us eternal life. And then in these last few moments this morning, we found that our victory is found in the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, his resurrected body provides us with the power and the strength that we need to make it through this life and to give us eternal life. But then we've also seen a promise, a promise that that Jesus is going to return someday, that he's going to come back for us, and he's going to usher in an eternity that is unlike anything that we could ever experience on this earth. Now, I've got to be honest with you, I have really, really enjoyed this Christmas series, a little bit different than anything we've done in the past. But, and I've enjoyed it partly because of the videos that, that we've put out. You'll have a chance to see those videos again. But I really have enjoyed it the most because I've had the opportunity to just take a step back and just think about the big picture. Everything that God has done to redeem me. How great, how awesome, how mighty, how loving, how intelligent is our God for putting this plan in place the way that he has. And I hope that your response has been the same way that, or similar to, to mine and that, and that this big picture has left you in, in, in awe and wonder of God. This Christmas or at really any point in your, in your life, the greatest thing that you can ever do is give your life to Jesus. He wants a relationship with you. And the only way to God is through Jesus. There's no other way to get to God except through Jesus. You say, well, how does that work? How, does, how, do, I, how do I have a relationship with God through Jesus? And, and it's really simple. First, you turn away from your sin. There's a term that we use with that. It's called repent, right? Repent means to turn away. So you, you turn away from your sin. But then secondly, you simply believe that Jesus is Lord and you commit your life to follow him. And you can do that anywhere, anytime. You can do it right where you're sitting right now, and you can do it at home. If you're at home watching, you can do it at home, in the, right in the, in, the, in the recliner that you're sitting in, watching the service. And I would tell you that if you've never done that, then today is the day for you to turn away from your sin and give your life to Jesus. And if you make that decision, I want to hear about it. Because I want to I celebrate the fact that you're a part of God's family along with me and, and other believers, but I also want to point you in, some, in the right direction for next steps as a believer. Church, listen, no matter what you're facing today, you can rejoice this Christmas season because Jesus wins. Do you know that? In fact, you go read the back of the book that we were just reading, the Bible. Read the back of the book. Jesus wins, Period. That's something for us to celebrate. That's something for us to enjoy together, to make a a cry. Jesus wins, period.
Father, thank you. Thank you for this story. Thank you for our redemption. Thank you for the victory that is found through Jesus. We praise you today, God, because you are worthy of being praised. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.